Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Keith. I just want to let you know before we get into this episode that this weekend, September, what is that? 17th and 18th, 16th through 18th, something like that. You're, you got a calendar. You can look right there. I am at Amazing Las Vegas. So come hang out. This has been a really fun convention when I've done it before. Very comic focused. Not only am I there, but there's a ton of really fun guests and people that do great comics. So if you're within, I don't know, 10,000 miles of Vegas, by all means, make the trip. Come out, hang out, come see me in Artist Alley, and we can talk giant monsters and kung fu. And now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, and I almost forgot the intro. However, <laughs> I'm also the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda from The Accidental Aliens. And he did not almost butcher the intro. I didn't. But... What he and, and what else he didn't butcher is probably whatever sweet, sweet beverage he's drinking right now. So uh, so what is your beverage of choice for this episode? Well, honestly, I almost did. I almost decided <laughs> against it because I had a weekend with, with my buddies, uh, my wrestling buddies. We do it once a year. And so it was three days of debauchery. Mm. And so a lot of beers and seltzers were consumed. And I was like, I need to detox. So yeah. I was really deciding if I was going to have one or not today, and uh, I decided last minute that I would, you know? Okay. When in, when in Rome. So um, I went with something a little light today. It's, uh, oh shit, I'm spilling it because I have not drank in any. Uh, it's Gierta, a light blonde ale. It is from the Chula Vista Brewery, so very local here to me. It's yeah. super duper light. This is actually why I decided I would drink. It is only a 4.3 ABV. I can't remember when I've had a time or two like that, but I have had a time or two like that where I'm like, you know what? I just don't feel like drinking anything for a couple of days and going from there. So, um, But in my case, I am drinking, uh, this beer looks like it's called Sunrise, and it's from Leashless Brewing. I believe I had one of these on a previous episode. It it was one that I got when I was looking for some lighter stuff at a Bevmo, and the dude was there. Um, like I I wasn't there for these beers, but uh, the the gentleman was there talking about these beers and offering free samples. So he stopped me in the alley. He was like, "Hey man, you want to try some beer?" I'm like, "Dude, I'll try anything for free, brother." You know. So yeah, we were doing that. And we were chopping things up, and uh, and I got this. I, I liked it so much that I ended up getting it. It is a Belgian style blonde. And it's got a wineish quality to it. Again, I, oh, now that I remember, we talked about it because it's basically like a low octane madam. That's sort of what it tastes like. Uh, it is still incredibly hot, although the end is in sight now because by the time this airs, we have we have eaten into our buffer for now, and we'll probably be building it out at some point. But we are right up against the buffer right now, and it's still hot. But when this episode airs, it will not be hot anymore. At least it won't be 
a hundred over a hundred degrees every single day for two weeks like it has been so the end is in sight i'm happy and uh, in a couple days at least be back into like the 80s which you know sounds wonderful considering where i've been but uh but hey with that let's let's get into some stuff that we did this week so you get to go first man what was the first thing you did this week uh, the first thing I did this week was tackle some pages for Second Shift 13. So I started on the first couple of pages because I'm using the Slack method. Uh, I had mentioned this last week. There's tons of backgrounds in the initial part of this story. So I'm like not in a background headspace. So I'm just jumping around a little bit. And uh, I've been working on the second page. And it has some nice splashy imagery and uh, some a full body shot and a couple of other things there that are nice and fun and easy to draw. So I've been tackling those. And um, man, it, it's so weird. Like I've been wanting to get back to the second shift. Like I, lo- I love drawing Wanders as well. It's such a different book. But as far as where the storyline is going, I'm really into where the second shift is. And we're heading into a really giant story arc. So these next two issues, they're they're kind of important to that story arc. Not not important, but you know they they definitely go into it, uh, and they're definitely involved with it. So, but I've been wanting to debut this character in issue thirteen for quite some time, and so it's nice to finally get to that character and put in the work on it. But just my headspace right now, since I've been coming back from you know, kind of like a long weekend uh, vacation away with the buddies. It's like me trying to get back in the right headspace to draw. And dude, it's a little difficult. So like going back to back weeks there where it was like Seattle, not really drawing so much, just doing like some head sketches at the show or or whatever else I was doing there. And, um, you know, having that time just working and just selling and stuff like that, just to get back in the headspace of drawing, it's, it is a challenge right now. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And w- what makes it a challenge just out of curiosity? I mean, you've, you just took some time off or like, what, what do you think is, is low is the location of why it's so difficult? It's hard to say. Um, there's, there's a couple of things going on there. So for Seattle, it was just being exhausted from doing the show. It was like, I don't want to do anything at all. And it wasn't just drawing. I didn't want to do anything at all. I just wanted to sit on the couch. I just wanted to veg out, look at my phone, watch some television, watch some programming, watch some movies, and um, just chill out because I was exhausted from it. And with this little mini vacation that I did with my buddies, I'm like physically exhausted. Even though like we were just kind of partying and drinking and out in the sun and the pool, like it's nice and relaxing. But kind of putting your body through that at, uh, you know, at 42, it's a little rough. So, yeah. you're, you know, like the recovery rate is a lot slower than it used to be. You know, I remember my 20s, I can drink all night and go to work the next morning. And yeah, it sucked, but I was fine. And, you know, yeah. by the afternoon, everything was A-OK and I could just go do it again. Your 40s, not so much. That's not really how that works anymore. So um, just the recovery time, my body physically being exhausted, me detoxing from that. Plus we were eating nonstop. So there's Mm -hmm. just a lot of factors that go in. And I think this is, um, you know, the first time in quite a while where my brain really needs to reset to try to draw again. It's just like going those back to back weeks and doing, doing all of those things. And with a lack of drawing, it's just like, Oh yeah, you have to really get back in the groove of this. Like, you know, it's, it's, um, not so much like riding a bike where, oh, yeah, I remember how to do this. It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I can still do it. And I, I guess it is in, to a degree, 
um, but the proficiency in which I knew how to ride that bike and <laughs> before I did all this totally. damage is a, a lot different. So yeah, it's just trying to get back in that headspace and really force myself to work. You know, it's just like I'm normally I'm a workhorse, but right now it's just like the horse is tired and mm -hmm. uh, it's it needs some reps and or not some reps, it needs some rest. So yeah. um yeah, it's it's interesting trying to battle through it because I do have a lot of things pending. It's like I think all of my clients are coming out of the woodwork at once, and I got to tell you, I don't feel like working on any of their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's understandable in a way, right? Like, there's there are a couple types of relaxing, and I think so much of that has to do with what you're doing while you're relaxing. You know, if quote unquote relaxing involves you sitting around and drinking and eating and kicking it with friends and stuff like that, it's kind of a different type of relaxing than just sitting around and having a beer by yourself and doing all that stuff. I mean, I think both you and I do value that that quiet time where we're just most of the time creating. But I have days like that where like, I, dude, I just want to sit here and read comics. And the fact that football season is starting up again, um, I, I don't like college football. I love pro football. But uh, in, in, in America, by the way, this is American football. But uh, that for me, my best the best part about that is, and it's an excuse to just sit on my ass on Sunday and, and do nothing. And uh, you need that. You know, we've talked about that over the past few episodes, but you weren't doing nothing. Your equivalent would be like going to a football game and hanging out with your buddies and having three beers during the football game. It's still fun. It's still relaxing, but it's just a different type of relaxing than doing the exact same thing on your couch by yourself at home, you know? Oh, three beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how many beers it was. It was so many. All right, man. So the first thing I did this week, speaking of unwinding as in actual unwinding, um, it was a long weekend. And okay, I should give a little bit of, of setup here. So what I did was I watched Stranger Things season four. Now you're probably going to wonder what the fuck that has to do with making comics, but just bear with me. The first thing about Stranger Things season four, have you seen it, number one? I have not. Okay. There, so Stranger Things season four is, is a show that has a character on it. And I found out quickly, like, what his favorite band was, basically. And, and the reason for that, so my wife watches it on her own. And then she says, oh, man, you really got to watch it with me, man. There's a dude in there who's like an 80s metalhead. And I'm like, okay, that sounds fun. Over the next couple of days, I proceeded to have three people, which is a lot of people, come up and be like this casual, hey, Keith, have you uh, have you watched Stranger Things season four yet? <laughs> and it didn't take me long to be like, you're asking me because of the Metallica thing, right? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, I haven't watched it yet. So I finally did watch it. It was the perfect thing to do on a long weekend where you just have a lot of free time. And I watched it and I enjoyed it, as is typical with a lot of these shows. I gorged the whole thing. You know, the first day we ended up watching maybe two, maybe three episodes. The second day we cranked out all the rest, oh, wow. which is which is particularly impressive for Stranger Things because, you know, Sandman, those episodes were about 40 minutes to 50 minutes. Stranger Things, it's a minimum of an hour. And when you get into those final ones, it's like 120, 140, 220. They're oh, long wow. as hell. Okay. Yeah, they're really long, dude. So anyway, I watched it. I enjoyed it. And I was sitting there prepping for the podcast and jotting down the things I wanted to talk about. And I actually had Stranger Things season four in bringing the bullshit and not this part of the podcast. But here's why I wanted to talk about it in this part of the podcast. It dials into a theme that Scott 
and I have talked about before. Scott has been hitting it a little bit harder than me. I think he has a slightly different philosophy than me, but this completely drives what Scott was talking about home. And it's the idea that there are certain shows that when you get to the end of an episode, you absolutely have to continue. You have to continue. This this is not the kind of episode that you can leave on. It's a goddamn cliffhanger. And the best part about binge watch TV is you don't have to wait. There is no week in between like there was when, you know, when back old good old days when I was growing up, you know, that kind of thing, right? You can watch them all. And so with Stranger Things season four, I didn't have time to go through this. But of the nine episodes, if there are nine episodes, that means there were eight opportunities for you to get compelled to go to the next episode, like completely compelled. And I would say that offhand, at least four of them were the kind of grab you by the lapels and shake you cliffhanger that there was just no doubt that you were going to watch the next one. And I've had this happen before with certain TV shows where it's getting late and I'm like, man, I want to get some sleep so I can go to work tomorrow or go do some other shit, you know, or just wake up at a normal hour. And I don't because you get to the end of the episode and then some unbelievable cliffhanger happens. and You're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> now I got to watch this whole episode. I can't not. Um, and, and there, look, there was a novel series that did this. Uh, like Stephen King basically saw everyone and raised. And in one of the Dark Tower books, which is what, a seven, eight book series, he dared to leave a book of the Dark Tower on a pure cliffhanger. And I was just like, this is insane. And it would have been even more insane when it came out because I would have had to wait years between the books. In this case, I could just go to the next one the next day. But um, I wanted to bring that up because it was a good instructive point on the kind of thing that Scott has talked about more than I have, but we have given a lot of attention to on this podcast, which is making sure people want to read the next issue, making sure people want to move on to the next thing. And you can do that in a few ways. Sometimes you can be a little bit more subtle and simply tell a good story and leave a little bit of a thread hanging there that you know people are going to want to pick up. And other times you can have a character, you know, basically hanging on the edge of life and then just end the issue and have people be like, oh, come on, man. (laughs) You know, like you're really doing this to me. But the point is most people are going to immediately want to go to the next issue, next episode, whatever it is. And if they don't have that option, then they'll definitely be hanging around for your next issue. So a point about Stranger Things is really a point about making sure that you're ending each one of your stories with something that makes people want to read the next thing. Nice, man. Yeah, that definitely uh, definitely translates. Uh, like Squid Games was like that as well, right? Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of times it's like you think you want to just finish on that one episode and it leaves you dangling with something and makes you watch the next one. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cause I, now that I think about it, squid game was the kind of show where you would think that each game was one episode, but there were a couple times where they ended the episode in mid game with a, with a, I can think of one particular big time cliffhanger where it was like, Oh man, we just got to go right into this next one. There's no doubt that I'm not even sleeping on this. We're just going right <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my second thing um, like I said, it's been a bit of a struggle, <clears throat> excuse me, it's been a bit of a struggle, like getting that sentence out. Um, so the, uh, the second thing I did this week, it's going to be more of a study thing. So, you know, like I had talked about a couple episodes back that I want to start studying on a weekly basis. 
and uh, my study for this week was Todd McFarlane. And it was Todd McFarlane for the simple fact that I had three sketch covers that I had to do, and I needed to study his line work. I was like, you know what, I want to make this as McFarlane as possible. This is actually a rollover from a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it was it was interesting because a lot of the ticks that he, he does was something I kind of already knew. Like, I think I've studied McFarlane as a kid so much to, to try to figure out what he's doing compared to all these other artists that I like and it, what was so different about it. And um, I think it figured it out pretty pretty good. And the guy that commissioned me to do all the covers is, is someone here we talked about on the podcast, uh, Steve. Steve Whistler Jr. Um, he hit me up. He wanted some sketch covers done for the upcoming holidays. And he was just like, hey, how much would you charge for these head sketches or, you know, like uh, on, on the blank covers? And so I gave him the price point. You know, I gave him a little bit of a, fr- a friend discount there. And he's like, let's do it. And I have three of them, if that's cool. And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So um, I was able to knock those out. They're really fun to do. And I was trying to get as much McFarlaneisms as I could in those head sketches, along with, um, you know, my normal style, uh, especially the, I think the first two covers specifically, um, I felt like there was more of me in there along with McFarlane. And the third one felt uh, more McFarlane. And, uh, like a little more noodly and almost a little Silvestri, to be honest. Like after I finished, I was like, oh, this is kind of a little bit of a Mark Silvestri vibe as well. So it was a lot of fun to do. It was cool to study McFarlane, like going back to, uh, you know, my, my young teenage years and just, just really visiting that art after so long. And, uh, man, he's, his stuff is so badass. It's just one of his, one of his sayings is, but, but is it cool? And, and honestly, it's just like one of the most simple things you can think about. He goes, I just wanted to draw cool things. So everything I draw, it has to look cool. It has to look badass. And, um, you know, that's an interesting philosophy to live by. And so I think all of us can do with a little more McFarlane in us, you know, just trying to do the most badass things. And, and that's something, honestly, I'm focusing more on to make sure <laughs> it sounds like I said more on uh, yeah. to focus more on. I want to focus on a little moron. <laughs> and that's you, you fucker. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's something I'm focusing a little more on uh, when I'm uh, laying out compositions or I'm just throwing down images on a page. And, and honestly, that might be part of the struggle that is coming with these pages is I'm really thinking about everything I do. And I just don't want to get into a headspace to where that's all I'm doing is overthinking everything. It's like, no, you know what you're doing. You got your page format down and everything like that. But um, I am trying to bring the cool uh, with everything that I'm doing right now. So, um, you know, it's taking a little bit more time, but I think once I get back in the swing of things, it'll all just start rolling out again. Nice, man. I came to bring the cool, hardcore from the pool. See, that's why Method Man did bring the pain instead of bring the cool. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hardcore from the pool isn't exactly very hardcore. Um, but yeah, that that echoes something, and I think I've mentioned it. Again, we've done so many episodes, it's more likely that I have mentioned something that I haven't. But uh, somebody did this really funny, um, what's it called, decision tree. And it was, it was supposedly the decision tree which uh, sci-fi author James S.A. Corey uses to write. He is the one, he, they, it's actually two people writing under one name, um, huh. are the people who wrote The Expanse. That is The Expanse book series right there. 
And they had a decision tree, and it basically said, does it kick ass? Yes. Write it. No. Don't write it. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I like that so much. and uh, It's something that I've tried to abide by for Kadoja and Three Protectors, for sure. I mean, when you're talking about things that are action comics and that kind of stuff, I think that's a great edge to live by, especially in something that's as much of a visual medium uh, as comics. For my novel... I am not living by that decision tree. But for comics, hell yeah, man. For these two comics, especially when they're action-based and, you know, have... You know, the goal is to have the action be creative and fun. So it's great to push yourself for new ways to kick ass. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. So for me, my second thing this week, and then I think we're going to go into our main topic, is that I began lettering animals. And... uh my my strategy for animals was is I just want to do two pages a day. And one of the reasons I want to do two pages a day is because I'm not sure my shoulders can take any more. And I don't mean this in a metaphorical way. I mean this that my shoulders hurt when I sit at my computer and I'm clicking on my mouse all the time. So two seems to be the magic number where I might get a little bit of a twinge in my, you know, upper back. Um, and then I can take care of that by, well, rolling around on a tennis ball for a while. For you, for those of you that aren't old, trust me, it's going to happen. You might like <laughs> tweak your back because you dared to work at a computer. And the advice I give you is buy tennis balls. And then all you have to do is like lay down on the tennis ball and sort of roll it around under your back. And it, it you get to work some really bad points on your back. It's great stuff. Do you ever work? Do you are you strictly sitting at a table or a desk when you work on your laptop, or have you ever tried uh, literally putting it in your lap and like sitting on your couch in front of the TV? Yeah, literally putting it on my lap is actually the worst thing I can do because then uh, picture yourself looking down. I'm doing it right now with Scott, looking down at the laptop more than I usually would. Those muscles are the ones that I oh, hurt the worst when I, I do see. it. So what I have to do is actually work at the computer that I'm in front of while we record this podcast or sit at a desktop and then just make sure that, hey, look, we're all about the ergonomics here at Making Comics. We could title an episode Ergonomics. It would probably be like our least listened to episode and <laughs> arguably arguably the most important. Um, so we're just going to squeeze some ergonomics in here. Just remember a couple things. One, if you're working at a computer, you need to make sure that your arm is like naturally extending down right at to your side and then the arm is going out at roughly a perpendicular angle to, angle to the floor or a parallel angle to the floor that's what you want right you want to make sure that arm is sort of rested and that you're not raising it higher so that's thing number one thing number two is the computer screen the top of that computer sh screen should be at your eye level okay hopefully this is obvious to everyone out there listening but if it's not Please make sure you do that because over time, it's going to catch up to you. I am telling you this. So anyway, so I work in front of this computer. And even with that, even with an ergonomic mouse, even with me knowing the stuff I got to do, two pages is about my limit. And uh, it works out really well. I, I feel fresh. I knock out the two pages and I move on to other things. And uh, because of that, you know, Animals Issue 1 is only going to be about a 32-page comic. So lettering it shouldn't be that ambitious. And lettering this first issue is going to be a lot harder, I think, than lettering the second issue because I'm writing the second issue from scratch and I expect that it'll be involve a lot less voiceover panels and, and tricks. You know, the nice thing is that I can rewrite that as I see fit because the art hasn't even been done yet. 
where in this case, no matter what rewrites I do, the art is in place. It's, it's concreted in. That said, I'm working on the animals lettering and I ended up applying a lot of what I've talked about previously on the podcast into action. I would queue up a page of the script and this was a script that I had read and edited and enjoyed multiple times. You know, this is, this is, I don't want to say like an eighth draft, but definitely an eighth pass of a particular scene, you know, like tweaking, editing, making sure all the dialogue flows, making sure this and that. And it is amazing how different you feel about that dialogue the minute you have to drop it into word balloons on a page and you understand the practicality of what you've just done. And so what I did on, on almost every page so far is that I have cut a lot of dialogue. You, you, even, you end up having this final hard ceiling on what you want the dialogue to do because you know what you want the page to look like and you don't want it to be clouded with too many word balloons. And you want to make sure that every word is mattering and that you're not repeating yourself or repeating the same ideas or, or retreading ground, you know, all those things. And as a result, it is a lot leaner and meaner. And, uh, and that's a great thing. And that was what I had hinted at last week when I said, the only way for me to get to a final comic here is to just go ahead and letter it. Because otherwise, just repeatedly doing stuff on a page as text is not going to help me at all. So yeah, I am, let me think about this. I am 12 pages in as of this episode, because I just finished the 12th page about 10 minutes ago before we started recording. And uh, that would leave me with somewhere around uh, 16 to 18 more pages for this issue, because it's going to be about a 28 to 30 page issue. Yeah, you actually shot me over a couple of pages and asked me how it looked. And yes. I thought it looked great. It was something you had talked about on the previous episode of changing the color of the word balloons. You're like, how am I going to do that? It's a black and white comic. Okay, one's white, one's gray. And you're like, hey, what's, how does this look? And I'm like, that looks perfect. You know, great, it was great. just like you described, like in the episode. And I was like, yeah, it works very well. Good. I mean, I, I like that. You know, the change that I, the big change that I've made is that on pages where the characters talking are actually present, I go ham on making sure that there are dialogue balloons with arrows that point to the character speaking, that they aren't disembodied. And what I'm hoping that does, and you, you gave it the thumbs up, and obviously when I go through a final uh, pass with Mike, I, I'm hopeful that he's, he's cool with it too, that because you set that up on the pages where people, it's clear who is talking, then it'll be as clear who is talking on the pages where you basically just have floating word balloons that don't point to anybody because they're speaking over action that's being drawn, you know, in that way. So I'm glad to hear that. I was glad to hear that the other day. In fact, I had paused on lettering a third page until I heard back from you. And so then when you you got back to me and said, yeah, man, this looks good. I was like, cool. You know, you uh, in the past, you have given me my closest reads when it comes to lettering. You know, different people have different strengths, real hardcore strengths in their reads of my stuff when I give them out. And yeah, your feedback on lettering is gold to me. So I'm glad you liked it. It, it meant a lot. And I was able to just proceed forward and keep on going. So uh, should be about another two weeks and then I'll be done with this issue. And we uh, yeah, that'll be pretty close to being the end, even though it's not going to come out for a couple months. We're not even going to solicit it, I think, until the beginning of next year. I'll have it in hand. And more importantly for me. It's not about when it's ready to solicit or ready to go to print or anything like that. It's about me needing to be done because 
Kadoja 2 art is cranking along. This isn't one of my things, but I'll just mention it. And once I finish paying for Kadoja 2 and I have the Kadoja 2 um, artwork in hand, I'm going to launch right into Animals number 2 in, in about December. And what that means is I need to have a script to Animals 2, which is as yet unwritten. <laughs> so uh, that, that'll be a good time. But there's still plenty of time. But obviously, how can I write the issue for number 2 when I'm not sure of every single element of number 1 yet? So within the next couple of weeks, I'll have a great idea and that'll allow me to do number two. It's a, it's a creative reason more than a production ready reason. Right on. So we're going to get into our main topic this week. And let me set up the main topic a little bit because Scott and I have basically thrown the whole alternating thing out the window a little bit, just in the interest of who's more served to set up this episode. And as I mentioned, oh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 episodes ago, I'm not even sure uh, I bought a stack of old wizards, and I am a huge fan of old wizards. As um, as I think we've talked about, those things are complete gold when it comes to creator interviews. I'm not even sure there is an equivalent today on the internet that gets you the quality goddamn interviews that Wizard used to get you. You know, the two issues I read were issue 40 and issue 48, and I dug through them really every single page up until the price guide, because then who cares? Issue 40 had interviews with Neil Gaiman and Frank Miller in the same goddamn issue, and then had a long piece on Batman, the animated series, that comic that they did, the Batman Adventures. Dude, those are three articles that could be the anchor to any magazine that was going to get published today, and they were all in the same issue, just right there. And these are good in-depth interviews that I am talking about here. These aren't your typical one-page, two-page. They're three, four, five, six-page interviews with these guys. They go really in-depth. But issue 48, while it didn't have anything as high wattage as those couple interviews that I mentioned in issue 40, they did have an article called Learn from the Pros, and they're spelling that P-R-O-S-E. So back when this issue of Wizard came out, there was this novel thing going on, which was damn near every company would accept open submissions from writers, which seems like the most alien thing in comics today when I talk about it, because almost nobody takes open submissions. Although, hey, public service, your boys at Invader do. Hit us up. One of the few open submission companies still out there will read anything and will look at anything. But back in the day, you could approach anybody. And you could say, hey, Marvel, I have a proposal for this and blah, blah, blah. And I have a proposal for that. So this article was done, gathered by interviewing a whole bunch of popular comic creators at the time, uh, writers, and asking them their tips that they wanted to give people that wanted to break into the biz. And, and when we, when I read it, I was like, yeah, man, we should talk about this, Scott. You know, some things... Um, dial right into things we've talked about before. Some, I think, are worth a little bit more of a discussion. And then there are a few final ones that I think are particularly applicable to people who want to only write for Marvel DC, write superhero books, write other people's stories. So what we're going to do is I'm going to throw out some of these things. And and I Scott's seen the list already. And we're going to talk about these things as warranted. So with that... Let's get on into it and, and let's let's brush some things aside real quick and just take a minute, two, three, however many it takes really, to get through this first wave. So in this article, Learn from the Pros, 
again, we have 10 things that, that ended up being the tips that were the most brought up among all these comic writers. So this first category is stuff we've mentioned before that we can touch upon lightly. And it is these following ones. So I'm just going to read all four, Scott. And if you have anything, feel free. Number four, excite your artist. We've talked about that before. If you're yep. writing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, what, it's, it's right there in the title. You know, uh, yeah. excite your artist. You want to keep your artist happy. You want to keep your artist engaged. Um, you want to get those pages back in a timely manner. Give them something excited or something exciting to draw. You know, uh, as much as you were excited to write that story, the artist should be that much excited to draw it exactly and look when i write scripts that's that is the number one thing i have in mind it goes back to the decision tree i'm just talking about is it cool yeah is it cool and like what i want is for the artist to look at this script and go like oh fuck yeah man i get to draw this i'm happy that i get to draw this number six is the next one that is pace yourself I think that one's more fundamental to just general storytelling which is know how to tell a story beginning middle and end moving on right um, number eight you don't want very, to uh yes yeah, oh sorry let me let me pop yeah, in no, real please. quick um yeah. yeah you don't want to have non-stop action all the time you do want to pace it out you want to make sure you're having those quiet moments those those scenes that set up the action coming up so um yeah that's you know something you want to do with every issue uh, or every story arc is you want to change it up you don't want action non-stop throughout the whole thing yeah and, and but to that that thing too i think you want to make sure that you're balancing it well right i I actually don't think i've mentioned this on the podcast before but when i went to see the first batman film in 89 right it was 89 jack nicholson batman one time i i went to a showing and there was a father and a daughter in the row in front of me and when batman was on screen it was great ass whooping you know you've all seen the first batman i hope when he wasn't on screen the girl would just turn to dad constantly and go where's batman every every two minutes where's batman where's batman where's batman and so in a way i i could almost rename pace yourself as the where's batman thing make sure that you're giving that reader quote unquote batman make sure that you're not going too far too long without something cool happening that something cool is almost certainly going to be action, but there's no rule that says it has to be. But it's more important that, like, understand your ebbs and flows and get that pacing down so that readers aren't asking themselves, when's the cool part? Because you want the cool part to always be around the corner, even though we know we all have to tell stories here. Uh, so the next one, number eight, very dialogue patterns. I mean, as as heard on Making Comics, we have talked about this before. Number nine. Find your own style, as we've also talked about before. You know, we're right. all gonna t- we are all gonna start out aping somebody else, and then once you move on from that and you learn some basics, you're gonna realize that you don't want to ape somebody else. You want to start synthesizing and moving into your own as a writer. Since we're talking about writing here specifically, but it also applies to art as well. You want to move into your own. That's the goal. Yeah, you definitely want it. This this is something I had mentioned. <laughs> I feel like we're saying that a lot this episode. Um, but it has I'm something take a that I, every time we do it. Yeah. I know, right? You guys, all right, forget Star Wars this episode. Uh, use that as your barometer for drinking. Um, you want to keep your style. When artists get too, too involved with learning the anatomy, the proper anatomy of everything, uh, style kind of starts to go out the window. 
and then everyone's art starts to look the same. It all looks like a diagram. You know what I mean? So it's just like, no, we don't, we don't want that. That's not what we're doing here. You don't want everything to look photorealistic because then all of those artists that draw photorealistic, excuse me, photorealistic, it's easy for me to say, it, they all look the same. You know, yeah. like that was something that was special about Alex Ross when he first came out because there was no other realistic artists who were also painting, you know? Yeah. And then after he came out, other artists started coming out of the woodwork doing the exact same thing. So yeah. once you get too involved into that, you lose yourself, you lose your own technique, you lose your own style. And that's something that I think uh, no matter what stage of the game you are in, that's what you want to keep. Never lose your own style. Yep, totally. And and it is fair to say that while we encourage people to drink for every time we referenced it, this subheading was stuff we've mentioned before that we can mention lightly. <laughs> this is true. So uh, so let's move on to the deeper discussion stuff. And let's see what we have to say on that. So there are four of these, and we're going to start in order. just going to go in order. And the number one on this article was make every word count. I mean, I'll go first on that. It's sort of self-explanatory, but it's sort of not, you know, like it's the kind of thing where you can say make every word count and the immediate response is going to be, well, no shit, dumbass. Well, honestly, that's kind of something you just touched based on, you know, yeah. you're you were lettering animals and you realize, mm -hmm. oh, shit, I have a lot of dialogue on here. You don't want to bog down all of your pages with so many words that it becomes daunting for your reader. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, and I know I've had those, those moments where like as a comic fan, I turn the page and boom, it's just nothing but dialogue on a page. And I'm like, I want to see if I can skip this. So I'll start yeah. to read a little bit of it. I'm like, I'm going to just skip this. And, I, and granted, yeah. I was much younger then, um, but that can happen with any one of your readers. It doesn't matter the age. Um, if you have way too much on there. It, people are going to skip it. They might check out. They might not keep on with your story because they're like, ah, oh, this guy writes too much. Like there's way too much going on in this and he feels like he needs to over explain himself. So make every word count. Trim trim the fat as much as you can. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm going to I'm going to go against some of my favorite writers here because it is important to mention some of these comics, because while I like these comics, there's a trend in current comics that seems to be happening right now. And I don't quite understand it. So Tinian does it in Nice House on the Lake, and he may do it in other places. Scott Snyder did it on AD After Death, which is a book that I adore, that Jeff Lemire actually does the art to, and Scott Snyder does the writing to. And it also happened in a book that I liked called The Black Monday Murders. But the thing about all of these three is I don't like them because of this thing that's being done, which is pages of dialogue, pages of text, pages of like a found document that's interview snippets and stuff like that. While I personally, again, and this is just personal philosophy, and I should mention that I love all three of these books, but it's still personal philosophy that I'm not sure why that's happening as part of continuity. Because if I'm reading a comic book, I mean, I read novels all the time, but when I read a comic book, if I turn the page and I see text, I, I do what you just said. Can I skip this? What if I skip it? And most of the time I do skip it. And then I see if three pages in, I've lost anything. You know, do I feel lost? Do I feel anything like that? Do I think I'm going to get burned in three issues when one of these things comes home? 
And uh, so far I haven't. And that just makes me wonder about the merit of it. So, you know, we're both big believers in make every word count. There is a little bit of a mini trend of people not doing that. But, you know, you're listening to us talk about comics right now and we fall on the side of don't do that. Make make sure that comics are an equal interplay of words and pictures. And the way you do that is by making your words count and having words and pictures engage in a dance as opposed to one person dancing while the other person sits down and does absolutely nothing. Right. And, uh, you know, that goes the other way, too. You know, like I, I don't mind it as much as Keith does, but when you have those silent comics, you burn through those books way faster. There's mm-hmm. no dialogue whatsoever. It's just like, OK, yeah, you're going to look at the art. And no matter how much you look at that art, you're probably going to finish that comic in five minutes or less. So you definitely want to give your readers something to grab onto. You don't want your dialogue so sparse where they feel ripped off. It's just like you don't want them to finish the book in six minutes because there is some dialogue, but not a ton. So it's definitely a balance. And honestly, the more you do this, the more you'll understand. And honestly, through years of reading comics, you might kind of understand that loosely without even knowing it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, that's where we fall on the side of the divide. There's no right and wrong, but you're listening to us talk. And that's where we think uh, we think you should go is just make sure that there is an interplay there. As well as this article. Yeah, exactly. Number two on the deeper discussion stuff that we hope is deeper discussion. Have something to say. So the context of the article here was that if you're going to make a proposal to Marvel or DC, then you want to make sure that that proposal isn't something that they've heard a billion times. That you might want to take a character that hasn't been used as much and have your idea for it um, and have your angle on it that gets you in the door. Okay, I'm cool with that. But I also think we can take that a little bit further. And this goes into that idea of author voice, of, of artist voice. If you don't have something unique to say, if you're nothing but a pastiche of things that have came before you, then I'm sorry, why are you here? You need you need to have something about you that makes you you because every story's been told. Every plot is there. And if you want to have a good time, you can always do these kind of Google searches where people talk about have I ever I don't think I've ever mentioned this. Um, I think it was Hemingway or somebody like that said there are only two plots. A person goes on a journey and a stranger comes to town. Those are the two plots. In every single, you can you can apply that shit to every single book. Basically, that's what's hilarious about it. And if not, you can do it to like ninety seven percent of all stories out there. So the point isn't to think of something totally ingenious that is a thing nobody's done before. Trust me, man, it's been done. There are so many books that have been written for centuries. So it's about you making sure you have something to say, and that something to say is always going to be your angle, your voice, your twist on stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't really have much to add there. One hundred percent. On a related note, by the way, hey, hey, DC Comics, if you're listening, I got my idea for one of your characters. So, is it Sandman? No, it's not. It's I'll I'll tell you offline. Any anybody who knows me or anybody who wants to hit me up, you can you can hit me up online and or email, and I will let you know because uh, I like this idea a lot. I mean, I haven't written a script, because why would I? But uh, I do like the idea. So that's Can said, you do your own version of that character? Kind of like, like 
uh, like the Black Hammer universes, oh. you know, the Dark Horse version of the JLA. Maybe you can yeah. do your own version. Like there's tons of Superman uh, uh, archetypes out there sure. that people write. They're like, this is Superman if I can do crazy shit with him, basically. Absolutely. Like a fucking Homelander by Grant Morrison, basically. Exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, that's a great that's a great point. A lot of us out there, if you're trying to create a comic book, hopefully there is something that you're trying to say, your own version of a story. Like, you know, it, it could be a, um, you know, an archetype. Like if you have your Superman story that you've been wanting to do and it's a take that you haven't seen, like, okay, well, if your main goal is to work for DC, maybe you're way, work your way up to that. If your main goal is to create comics and interesting stories, maybe you can do that on, on your own. You know, like, like have your own voice, even if it's for a character that's been around for a while. And that's okay. There's no problem with that. Um, just if you have an interesting story to tell, tell that story the best way you can. And we're going to pause. And we're going to unpause because Keith is here. I'm back. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that is a good point. I I suppose I could. But the problem is it's far down my list. You know, I would need like a bag of cash from DC Comics to make it <laughs> the kind of thing that I would want to do. Otherwise, it's the seventh most interesting story in my brain. And not to get too cryptic, but it's actually the second most interesting superhero story. That said, oh, if I was ever going to do a superhero story, that wouldn't even be the one I would do. It would be something else. But again, hey, and anybody who wants to talk to me at conventions please do. And, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to, to talk a little bit and maybe I'll get too vague. I don't know, but we'll see. So that brings us to number five. Uh, no, sorry, number three, right? Cause we did have something to say just now. So this one is dream big and think small. And the context of the article here, again, this is very, very angled at pitching the big boys on your take of a character is it's okay to have an awesome idea for something. But that's not the thing that's going to get you. Again, I'm just going to give it in their context. That's not the thing that's going to get you a gig. You're not going to get to say, I want the X-Men to fight Galactus. They know, you know, Marvel and DC were never going to make anybody do that. Not on a first time writer. So this kind of goes back to this idea of, you know, find, find something that you can say about a character that maybe isn't as spoken for. Or have a nice big idea, but figure out a small way to do it. And, and get your foot in the door that way. So because this is an indie comics podcast, we are going to repurpose that a little bit for ourselves because the exact same thing applies. Dream big, think small. What has Scott said over and over on these episodes? He wishes he wouldn't have started the second shift with a five-issue arc. His advice to everyone is do one story. And uh, again, back to the Tim Radecki podcast, we were and I continue to be enamored with the idea of writing treatments, write an eight page story, write a four page story, write smaller stories, just get get stuff out there and have these small ideas and keep the big ideas going. And then you can build the small ideas going there again. This is the indie waters. We're not here to pitch anybody. The only the only people we're pitching are fans that could actually like our books. So because of that. Have the biggest idea in the world, but understand that big ideas require a ton of work and a ton of time. And so you, you're making it very unfair on yourself, to yourself, if you are starting things off and saying, you know, I want to do a nine issue series about this, 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 and this. 
you are asking yourself to do a whole lot for someone who is understanding the process of creating in as you do this, you know, so again, you can dream big, but it's always a good idea to go with bite-sized stuff in the beginning, at least as you get your feet uh, under you. You know, it, this actually reminds me of a story that I heard, I believe it's Donnie Cates um, that created like Cosmic Ghost Rider. Is that right? Oh, is that what he created? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when he first started working for Marvel, he was like, hey, so I have this idea. I want to create Cosmic Ghost Rider. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How about you do some stories first, right? Like they, yeah. he had like a bigger idea of things that he wanted to do, mm-hmm. and um, they pumped the brakes on that stuff. And after he wrote a few stories, they're like, "Okay, this guy's actually got something." Okay, well, what else do you want to do? I want to do this. I want to do that. And then he's like, "Hey, by the way, I have this character I want to do. It's Cosmic yeah. Ghost Rider." And the uh, person under the Ghost Rider is Frank Castle, and they're like, "Interesting." So. He did He did the smaller work first, and mm-hmm. then he got to do the bigger work. He got to bring in a character. He has a character in Marvel continuity now that mm-hmm. he created. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it applies to that. You know, dream big, start small, you know, yeah, do the smaller absolutely. things first, and then you can get to those bigger things once, uh, you know, you get there. Totally, totally. And then while the number five one seems related in wording, it's really not. The wording in Learn From the Pros is start big. But I want to rephrase that a little bit to start with an impact or make a splash. Because that's what they're talking about. The specific pullout quote I remember for this one is, I believe, Chuck Dixon, who said, I need to have violence within my first scene. That's what people know me for when it comes to his Batman work. That's what we're talking about by saying start big, start impactful. You want to start with a wallop. You want to make sure that those first couple pages are really grabbing the reader. Now, rules are made to be broken. You can do whatever you want. The book that I am that I referred to last week on the podcast, aka Goldfish, it starts with eight pages of head, talking heads dialogue, right? So <laughs> you can, again, you can do whatever you want. This is just a good adage to use depending on the kind of comics you want to make. That said, Scott and I both make action comics, and we both adhere to the idea of making sure that there is something impactful that happens early in the issue. And this is where it comes down to you challenging yourself on how you can play with the story structure. You know, something else that blew me away about Stranger Things Season 4 is there are generally five plot threads, five character threads that are going on at the same time at any one time in Stranger Things, and sometimes more. Sometimes these groups sub-splinter, and all of a sudden you have like six groups of characters that you're following around, following around, and you're just going back and forth between. The more of those you have, it's a more delicate balancing act. But it also gives you the ability to shuffle and move things around so you're always starting an episode, an issue, etc. with an impact. Yep, absolutely. All right, so these last two, man, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about these because they might apply to superheroes, and that's why I'd be interested to hear what you say. Um, one of them definitely doesn't, though. So these are the two that, that Scott and I both felt were a, more appropriate to big companies, yet I think there might be an indie lesson or two in there as well, which is number seven, explain your characters. 
So to set this up a little bit, Scott, I don't know if you do this, but the perfect example of it was um, whoever used to write The Flash gave the example that in every issue he does, he always grounds the reader because there might be a new reader every issue with something like, I'm Wally West, I'm the fastest man alive. And that always shows up pretty early in the comic because you never know when that comic is someone's first comic. Yeah, that was like a old Jim Shooter um trope right like oh was it that was yeah i think that was one of his old old sayings or um you know it was like a criteria he had for everyone that worked at marvel it was just like hey you need to introduce who these characters are every single issue because it might be someone's first issue Mm -hmm. and i think that is a great idea but i also think i also think that it's okay to get away from that if there is a particular story style story that you're trying to do like you're every single issue you're not introducing Kadoja. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You so, already you beat me to it. Yep. Yeah. So it, it's it's like, okay, you can do that with certain characters and certain books. Like if it's a superhero story, maybe. Um, you know, it sounds great for the Flash. I know it was an X Men thing for sure. I remember reading X-Men comics and going, Why do they keep reintroducing them? I know who they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a little kid, so I didn't grasp what they were doing specifically but like i was like okay whatever like you know you get through those first couple of pages they're reintroducing everyone and then you get into the story um so that can apply um keeping your characters grounded for sure is always good and like you i know i have issues like for instance when i'm at shows i sell people on issue seven if they only want to buy one issue from me i'm like pick up issue seven it's a complete one shot you get to know the characters uh in the story the action starts and stops in that issue. So mm-hmm. if, if that's what you're looking for, then check that out. And if you dig it, come back for the other stuff. And, um, you know, but that doesn't apply to all of my one-shot stories. You know what I mean? Like, issue eight is the introduction to Bayani Man and the Cadre. I don't, I don't expect people to pick that issue up to be their first issue. Could mm-hmm. they do it? Yeah, probably. Like, but there's going to be some holes there. You know, it's like you won't be completely lost, but there's definitely going to be a backstory that you need to go look up with the rest of the characters moving forward. Um, So, you know, it doesn't apply to all books, but I can see it applying to most. Absolutely. And that's I think that's most is the wrong word. I'm sorry. I, I would say that that's the biggest difference, I would argue, in indie comics, because with indie comics, I think there's two kinds of people that buy indie comics. Number one, a repeat customer. Who does not need to be told who Kadoja is, who the characters in the second shift are, etc. And I would even blanch at that whole idea a little bit because, you know, Hellboy is a great example. It's a series that is nothing but a series of miniseries. And that's the what I emulate with Kadoja, even though the miniseries are all connected. It's still a series of miniseries. If someone picks up Hellboy Seed of Destruction issue three... You kind of you kind of get what you deserve. You know, if if Mike Mignola decides that he doesn't want to explain who Hellboy is to you, maybe issue one would be a great place to start here. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah, exactly. like, the, we're, you know, we're, we're not Marvel. This, this is the one where it's the most stark contrast between we're not Marvel and DC. We are indie. 
And so you either A, know who we are and you're probably just down for the new issue and no explanation is needed, or B, you have no idea who we are, but you're probably coming across us on a website or at a show. And in those cases, we're going to give you a very clear idea of where you should start. I have people ask me where they should start with Kadoja all the time. I tell them, you can start with volume one and you can start with volume two, but you can't start with volume three. So I would recommend that you start with either volume one or volume two, but at that point, it's up to you. So anyway, explain your characters is all well and good if that's what you want to do, but we ain't here to talk about how you can get a job writing, you know, for one of the big boys. We're talking about indie and it becomes your call, but I don't feel the need to explain my characters to people. It's an indie book and you, you're probably along for the ride already. Right. Um, yeah. And like if you're starting with the first, like, you know, if like this, because I didn't read the article. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know what the other creators would say. Like, oh, I'm basically much like the listeners out there. I'm getting the bullet points on it. So yeah. for this one specifically, if they're talking about explain your characters, then if you're talking about the first story arc, yeah, obvious. You, you definitely yeah. want to give an idea of you, you want to explain who these characters are and what they're doing and why they're doing it or yeah. give an example of what kind of people they are. And if the origin story is coming later then the origin story is coming later. But as yeah. long as you have well-rounded characters like by the end of the first issue if people can understand who they are as as quote-unquote people then you're doing your job right yeah absolutely which brings us to the last one which is strangely only appropriate to the big companies but yet appropriate to absolutely everybody and that's number 10 be ready to compromise so in the context of the article, what they're talking about is don't have an ego if someone comes and says, we want to change this, we want to change that, because the people at those big companies have a much better idea of that character than you. Odds are that character has been around as long as you have been alive, possibly longer. But be ready to compromise as a thing for indie comics people. I think it's helpful, you know, especially for, I mean, I would say it applies to both, but it definitely applies to the writing side. You know, like you, I cannot stress this enough. Why are you asking an artist to work with you and probably paying an artist to work with you and then just making them do exactly what you want? That's just writer brain that that lacks the, the breadth, the breadth that we talked about before when we gave that. Um, oh, you were talking about how you prefer not to ink yourself. And I gave the example of like how Jimi Hendrix could play any instrument, but he got other people to do it because you add that breath because different people play the same thing the same way. And so when it comes to writing, it's like you're working with an artist. Let that artist fly. Let that artist sing. And if that artist singing means you need to compromise, then guess what? You do. You should. And, and it's going to be better for it because it's going to have this great energy that's done with multiple people instead of just one person. So it applies to artists too, I'm sure. But I know, hey, I'm the writer. I'm going to say it from the writing perspective. Be ready to compromise. Be ready to have an artist tell you they don't like that idea and they have another idea that they'd rather do. And then let them do that idea. Odds are it's going to be better than the thing you thought. Yeah, and if you're working with an editor, they're going to have some suggestions for you as well. They're going to let you know what's working, what's not working. And in that sense, you're going to have to compromise your original vision. You know, yeah. like you've you've talked about working so closely with Mike that you value his information. So he'll read your he'll read your script. You'll he'll throw some stuff at you. You can either push back because look, this is what I was thinking and he might roll with you, or he might go, "Look, this is why that doesn't work." And you go, 
oh yeah okay i see what you're saying mm -hmm. so as long mm -hmm. as you're open to it you know it'll it'll produce this tree will produce uh, better fruit for it so uh yep. make sure you're listening to like honest criticism don't get so much in your feelings you're going to have to learn to grow a thicker skin and yep. it, it comes with time you know you can tell yourself I'll have a thick skin when it comes to it. But then once it happens, you're going to feel it. And the only mm -hmm. way you get past that is hearing those things over and over and over again until you accept that, look, everything I'm doing isn't God's gift to the world. So mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I'm doing my best to get it there, to yep. to make sure that I'm making this vision um, you know, as, as great as possible. So yep. it might not be your first script. It might not be your third. But eventually it'll get there and, and you'll move it along and the artist will draw it. And before you know it, your book will be better for it. Totally. It's not an indictment of you. It's, yeah, exactly. it's a comment on your story. It's a comment on this specific story. It has nothing to do with anything bigger than that. Yeah. And it's um, the growth, the personal growth. Totally. Hey, we did it. We got through all 10. And what that means is it is time to see what kind of bullshit you would like to have brought in. <laughs> well trying to think what I got over here um you know what um I, I guess the bullshit that I have it's it's not so much buying shit um so I'm oh so I went on that trip with my buddies over the weekend mm -hmm. um we were hammered for three days and a couple of my buddies went out that are comic fans uh, one of them is my writer Ed so Ed was there as long uh, along with Steve and we talk comics a lot. And I also had a trunk full of damaged books. So I I cannot sell these books. Like I just personally, it's not in me to sell someone a damaged book. If I know the book's damaged, I usually won't sell it to a customer. Um, you know, so I have this pile in my trunk that I'm like, I'm going to go stick these in those little free libraries that are in the neighborhoods and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, around town. And I knew that they were going to be there. So I said, hey, guys, do you guys have these in your area? They said, yeah, we do. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to bring you guys a stack of these books. Um, so it was like Accidental Alien Anthologies, Wanders of Melisande, Second Shift, whatever I had that was damaged that I couldn't sell to someone. There was even mm -hmm. some alternate and variant covers uh, or Kickstarter exclusive covers uh, from like Second Shift because when I got the copies in, there would be a few creased creased covers and like those yeah. are premium editions people are paying more than standard cover price for those so it's like i can't in like good faith send send this to someone to send it out that's someone that had backed the book so it's just like no yeah. these are just going to be given away um and so you know me and steve we we got there at the same same time i got there later and so i was like okay well do we just want to divide these like right now and then you can take a stack and ed can take a, take a stack so we did it and there was like a run of second shift, but it was like, all right, well, you get issue seven, Ed will get eight, you know, nine, ten, or whatever. And um, a couple of those were the variant covers. And Ed looked at his stack when he got there, and he goes, "Fuck that, I'm keeping these." <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so I was like, writer copy, I was like, yeah, yeah. He's just like, I was like, yeah, man. They're, I'm like, the covers creased right here. He goes, I don't give a shit. <laughs> He yeah, goes, these exactly. are cool covers. So um, it, it was kind of funny. Um, but he did have a bunch of stuff to put into those little libraries. Steve has already sent me two photos of him, um, two different 
little libraries that he has dropped books off at. So that's super awesome. And um, I'm, I'm glad that they're going to new potential fans. So the hope nice. is that there's some kids out there, some teenagers, some grown-ups, who knows, that goes by those. They see the comics. They pick them up. They like them. They start following uh, on social media and the websites and picking up new stuff and, you know, just following along. And hopefully we will create some new fans this way. And okay. uh, honestly, it's my car's lighter for it. I'm glad to get rid of all of those books, and I'm happy that they will have new potential homes. Very cool. Very cool. So I have a comic that I'm not going to talk about. Because I'm two issues away from completing the run. So I will talk about that once I complete the run. Nice. But I got I'll a couple of issues here. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I got a couple issues of it and I'm almost there. And I was thrilled because these issues were at a very cheap price instead of the high price that I've been seeing some of them for. So I'm just going to talk about one thing and then we can get on out of here. Which is I just bought. How does this shit work? It is, it is early September as we record this. I found out today that a concert that I have been waiting for, I am not kidding, for five years to get announced, that I never thought even would be announced, got announced. I had a person come up to me and be like, hey man, did you know Merciful Fate just announced a tour? So Merciful Fate is the band King Diamond was in before King Diamond was the solo artist that headed the band King Diamond. As I may have mentioned, I have met King Diamond. I've had a meet and greet with King Diamond. I have shit signed by King Diamond. I love King Diamond. Merciful Fate is better than King Diamond in my eyes. So Merciful Fate announcing a tour, they had just played this uh, huge three-day festival called Psycho Las Vegas, which is a three-day metal show. And I was going to go do it. But then I realized two things. One, it didn't matter anyway because it was the same weekend as Emerald City. Uh Two, you couldn't buy a ticket for only that day. You had to buy a goddamn three-day pass And it was $300 or some stupid amount like that. And it's like, yeah, I like all that metal, but I'm there to see Merciful Fate. You should have just let me buy a Saturday ticket. But then again, it wouldn't matter because I wouldn't have been able to go anyway. So, hey, Fate Speaks, this Merciful Fate show gets announced. And uh, I'm like, cool. So I send a text to my wife. I'm like, hey, are we clear on October 29th? Like, am I able to you know, go to that. And she's like, yeah, we already talked about that, but I'm looking on the calendar and you already have tickets to a show. It's the Cavalera brothers. And I'm like, motherfucker. I had already bought a ticket to Max and Igor Cavalera, who are the people who really co-founded the band, the heavy band Sepultura. Okay. Sepultura. This is weird metal history. So, so people that know this are like, yeah, Keith preach people that don't know shit about this are going to be like, why are you wasting my time? But it's bringing the bullshit. We're here. Sepultura was founded by, I believe, the Cavalera brothers and a couple other people. One by one, people left the band. First Max Cavalera, I believe, and then later his like brother Igor or something like that. And then other people and other people, and they got replaced. And, by, and at some point in time, Sepultura still exists, yet there are no original members of the band in <laughs> Sepultura. And that is a real thing. I have seen this band. It is weird. It is like a Muppets version of Sepultura. It's really strange. They've changed their sound and everything. I can't even believe it's the same band. They should have just renamed themselves. Right. But right. in 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 sort of reaction to that, the two Cavalera brothers recently announced that they're going to do a tour where they play songs from the first two albums ever by Sepultura. So this is fucking great. It's basically like the real Sepultura touring. And my ass already bought a ticket to that. And it was the same fucking night. 
So I'm going through all the motions and I'm like, what do I do? So I had texted my cousin early in the morning, uh, who's who's even a bigger, I would argue, a bigger King Diamond fan than me, uh, possibly. But I told him about it. I, I get a note. And then I talk myself into like, no, 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 you bought the Sepultura ticket. Just go to that. The one Merciful Fate shows in L.A. It's a pain in the ass, blah, blah, blah. Without me going into the details, he basically talked me into it and then helped me get a presale ticket because he had like a Citibank card. So... I was like, okay, so now I'm going to Merciful Fate on that night. And one of the reasons that I knew I could go to Merciful Fate is because the Cavalera brothers are playing another show at another venue near me on a different night. So oh, I'm able to get the best of both worlds, to quote Miley Cyrus. Now, yeah, I have one I have one problem. I still have that ticket I need to unload from the same night as the Merciful Fate concert, but I made it happen. But I was like, how does this shit happen where you're not going to see a single show and then all of a sudden you have two concerts you want to go see and they're the same night? So That's how it always happens. Yeah, exactly. And look, I'm happy there was a solution this time at least, but most of the time there isn't and you just have to make this hard choice that just is ridiculous because if you just went one night either way, you wouldn't have to make the choice at all, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so with that said, uh, hey, We've reached the end of the episode and you can find me at Keith underscore invader on Instagram. That is me doing all kinds of amazing things. You're going to get some art from all my books. You're going to get quotes. You're going to get pictures. You're going to get all kinds of stuff. And of course, if you're not down with that and you're only down with the giant monsters, you can follow me at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all one word on Instagram. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, my website, it's KeithRFoster.com. There are blog posts. I do plan, you know, we all have plans, and I plan to start doing some more blog posts exclusive to the site, but I've been saying that for a while. Hey, I'm writing a novel, man. What do you want from me? Um, but, uh, <laughs> I got shit to do. You, yeah, I got shit to do, man. And uh, there's also stuff on my books, Kadojin 3 Protectors on the site, and there's a store where you can get all kinds of goodies from both of those. So Kadoja is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, Three Protectors is Kung Fu in Space. It is a Saturday matinee waiting for you on KeithRFoster.com at the store. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com, pick up Second Shift to tell minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night, and Wanders of Melisande Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, all at AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah, and you're listening to a podcast right now where you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you can rate this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you are, then we would love it if you just took a second out of your time. Okay, more than one second, more like 30, maybe 40, maybe a little bit more if you want to write something nice about us. But we encourage you to go there, give us five stars and uh, rate the podcast. And um, that's going to help its visibility and that's going to help us. And it helps everybody because we're here to talk craft. That's right. Do you say crap or craft? I mean, does it matter? It's one and the same. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, when it's coming from us, at least. Um, and if you have problems with the crap or the craft we're talking about, go to makingcomicspodcast.gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing here. Um, if you like what we're saying, if you don't like what we're saying, if you got some topics that you want us to cover, we haven't mentioned it here, let us know. Makingcomicspodcast.gmail.com. Yeah. And hey, look at us. We did it. Another week in the books. We did. And we are going to roll on out of here. We made the world's best cup of coffee. And my man, I will see you next week. Yeah, yeah.